Let's face it, AI has gotten a pretty bad rap in the media and pop culture. Just think of Terminator, Blade Runner, or Ex Machina. But I think it's time that we give AI a fair shake. Welcome to Practical AI, the capacity for good, where we speak with some of the brightest minds in the industry about the exciting intersection of AI automation, customer support, and customer experience, and how we can use the latest and greatest technology to help teams do their best work. Well, hello, everyone. I'm James Deal. Welcome to another episode of Practical AI, the capacity for good. Joining me today is Shep Hyken, customer service and experience expert and the chief amazement officer at Shepherd Presentations. Shep is a prolific keynote speaker and a best-selling author whose books focus on helping companies and organizations create exceptional customer and employee experiences. His portfolio includes leading brands such as the Federal Savings Bank, FedEx, Unigroup, and First Abu Dhabi Bank. Welcome to the podcast, Shep. Wow. Wow. That's a great introduction. I work for those companies. <laughs> I don't know where you got that list. That's an obscure list. But uh, yeah, we work with amazing brands. I'm the luckiest guy. I've been doing this a long time, but it's pretty cool. Well, with that in mind, you have been at this a long time, as your bio indicates. I'd love to understand a little bit more about what got you into the customer experience, customer support, customer service area, and why you're so passionate about it, and what you do every day then within that space. Sure. <laughs> well, I was born into it, believe it or not. I think my parents taught me to do good things when I was a kid. Eight years old, my first job working in a drugstore. It was my grandpa's drugstore. And he actually put me behind the counter and I actually got to thank customers, check them out with the cash register exchange. I couldn't believe he would let me do that. But I loved interacting with people. I started my first business when I was 12. It was a birthday party magic show business. And when I was finished with my first magic show, one Wednesday afternoon after school, my mom dropped me off at home and said, you know, after dinner, what are you going to do? And I thought, homework? No, write a thank you note. My dad said, follow up, make sure the parents were happy with your show, ask them what tricks they like the best and start to figure out how to make your show better. And I had no idea showing appreciation, getting feedback, process improvement. That's what I was learning at age 12. And I built this little business up to being quite a good little business. I mean, it was like I could have made a living back then at age 12 or 13 with it. But that works some retail. When I graduated college, I thought I was going to be in a frontline retail-oriented business. And within a few months after college, they sold the company. I didn't have a job. So I said, what can I do? And I saw a couple of motivational speakers. I said, I can do that. I love the entertainment business. By the way, I graduated from birthday parties to nightclubs and corporate events. So I was by that time doing adult uh, shows, <laughs> if you will. And I thought I had the entertainment background. I bet I could write a great speech. Went to the bookstore to find some books to learn and about business more than what I'd already learned in college and through my you know, actual experience. And I was drawn to all of the customer service and experience books. And I just started writing. I took my interpretation of these ideas, creatively made a very entertaining speech. And I started working at the age of 23 years old, 24 years old. I'm hired by amazing brands like Anheuser-Busch and IBM and uh, General Motors and local in St. Louis to me was Anheuser-Busch and Enterprise Rent-A-Car was one of my first speech clients. But over time, I graduated from being just an entertaining speaker to really learning so much about what companies were doing from all the different clients I had. 
all the research I did, I loved to read. Every chance a new book came out, I would buy it. And, and remember, then in the early 1980s, I know I don't look that old, but in the early 1980s, if I went into the bookstore and I went to the business section of the bookstore, it was one shelf. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so there weren't that many books to get. You know, sure. there were some motivational books. Uh, uh, I remember the first books I bought in 1983. Tom Peters came out with In Search of Excellence. He just retired, by the way, at 80 years old after doing this for 45 years, which is pretty cool. So Tom Peters, uh, Ron Zemke, Carl Albrecht. I bought a book. Uh, well, actually, that came a little bit later. There were some books like that. I just devoured them. And over time, I formed my own opinions, worked with so many clients, got their input, figured out what they were doing right. And here I am today, believe it or not, 40 years later, 40 I've been doing this 40 years. I've been doing it longer than you are old, right? Almost. <laughs> I Almost. <know. laughs> trying to give you a compliment. To I'll, give you a take compliment. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. But that's, <laughs> that's really it. So I'm very blessed, very lucky. Very, very cool. So you also obviously consumed a lot of books, it sounds like, to get to where you are, but you've also written a fair amount of books yourself. And so I, one of them kind of caught my eye as I was preparing here. And in the book, The Loyal Customer, you talk about the differences between a satisfied customer and a loyal customer. I did? Yeah, I think you did, right? <laughs> I think you've <laughs> got loyal something to say. customer is like that thin. It's the shortest book. There must be some good nuggets in there, though. I'm, there I'm... must be. Oh, man, I actually autographed this to somebody. Who's Brad? <laughs> No, <laughs> should have given it to him. <laughs> Is your name? No, that's funny. But no, the idea behind that book was that this guy, Frank, the cab driver, and I, I took this story and I turned it into a little book and I say, it's not even a book. It's a lesson. He understood the difference between the satisfied customer that would tip him and be happy and go on his or her way and never see him again, or the loyal customer that kept calling back and saying, hey, I'm going to be in Dallas. Would you pick me up and drive me around? And he built up this book of business where he never had to wait in an airport or outside of a hotel for any length of time, other than to wait for his customer who is you know, flying in or coming out for a meeting, whatever. So he would, instead of making like $20,000 a year, which is what the average cab driver made back then, he was making more than 100 Working the same hours, you know, working smarter, not harder. I guess he's working hard within, but he's not sitting around waiting and hoping somebody's going to come out and want to go from downtown to the airport, which is a nice fare. So today I talk about that and I actually write about this and I repeat a lot of content in my books with different ideas behind it. So recently I wrote about why we need to understand that that repeat customer is not necessarily a loyal customer. And you think because they keep coming back again and again that they're loyal and they're not. Maybe they're coming back because it's closer. And if a competitor moved in a little bit closer, all of a sudden, where, where, where did the guy go? He was here all the time. You know, maybe the price was less as soon as a competitor comes in and uh, we lose. The person wasn't loyal to the company. They were loyal to a price, to a low price. So we want to understand why customers keep coming back, not just being excited that they do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So in understanding why they keep coming back, you seem to advocate for this human relationship and customer service. Like that's critical relationship building. And, and I, I think 10 years ago, you actually made a, a statement that included the phrase, the greatest technology in the world yes. hasn't replaced the human touch. Do you still think that's true? A hundred percent. I just finished an article. A client hired me to write a major article for them and I closed with this. I said, and I like to close with something that I've been saying for a decade. 
Mm. Okay. Okay. Because it hasn't changed. Here's what is exciting. AI, chat, GPT, all these incredibly great technology, which by the way, just in the last year have just skyrocketed in capability, right? Okay. Every year we do consumer research. This year, the research report just came out that 2023, we researched in January, we went out to the field, queried our people. We survey over a thousand consumers, waited to the U.S. census. We want a nice big cross-section of what it's like, you know, for a typical consumer. We asked them, what's your favorite method? And we we were very specific. Do you like the phone? Do you like email? Do you like chatbot? Do you, you know, what is it that you like? The number one response, 70%, I believe, was the telephone. All right. I believe it was 70 or say, actually, I can look that up because I have uh, the you stats right and facts there. right here. <laughs> By the way, if anybody wants it, it's free. You can go to uh, hiking.com and pick up the research. Just awesome. click on the tab that says research and we'll get it for you. This is really important to note. It's now 81%. Wow. Last year, it was 71%. The year before that, it was 67%. In other words, the preference of using the phone has increased, not decreased, even with this incredible technology that's happening today. That said, approximately 70% of customers are willing to use a digital experience. And I got to be careful about how I ask these questions, because I wonder if some of them said, yes, I do use digital experiences because they went to the website first to get a phone number before they made a phone call. (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) But the point is, they're willing. Why is it not their preference? And by the way, the demographics of a Gen Z, young generation versus a boomer, the boomers are making that 81% that high. The Gen Zs and millennials are more open to using technology. Interestingly enough, we asked a question about what they see the future is. And 33% said intuitive self-service options that are easy to get quick access to information and answers, which indicates, you know, we want that. Believe it or not, the Gen Z millennials, the young groups actually said, no, we're not all that interested. It was the boomers that want that. Why? Because to Gen Z and millennials, it doesn't have to be intuitive. They've grown up with this. They know what it is. Mm. But the older generation wants you to make it easy on them. So anyway, I throw these things out because I geek out over this kind of content. But to the point of, okay, how do we get our customers to go first digital? And this is what I suggest to all my clients, even with that statement about the best relationship builder is still the human-to-human interactions, right? We want them to go for the basics that they need. Simple ask, you know, frequently asked questions, something, did my shipment get, you know, where is it? How much money do I have in my bank account? We can do that online. We need to teach our customers to use that to their advantage. That way they don't waste the time of the agent on simple questions where the agent rolls their eyes and goes, oh, another one of these. Why couldn't they just go on the website and get it? Well, we're not teaching them to do that or we're not making it intuitive enough for them to do it. So if we do that right, it allows our agents to be freed up for more complicated, complex issues so that they can truly get in and take care and deliver an amazing experience for the customers. So what I hear you saying is part of what brands should be doing is thinking about how to train their customers to use these yep. tools. And, and that's part of the providing a good customer experience is not just having the tools available for them, but helping them understand how to use them. Is that where you get into this human touch and the, how does technology help the human touch? Sure. 
We want our customers to say, I love doing business with them. Whenever I have a problem, it's so easy to get an answer. I can get it on the website and I can't. They're always there to take care of me. I use the word always very carefully. It may have blown over, but that word always indicates a consistency and a predictability. And that's part of what makes customers confident about you. So how do we do this? Think back to the last airline ticket that you bought. Did you actually pick up the phone and call a reservationist or did you go online and book your ticket? I'm asking you. We're flipping the interview. Sure. All right. Sounds good. I use the app on my phone. I never talk to anybody. Exactly. All right. App on the phone. By the way, that's a number one preference for the future is that everything can be handled with your mobile device. Great. I don't know of other than maybe an international trip. Almost every single flight that's booked, for, I ask my friends this all the time. It's always using online or the app or whatever. It's so easy. How did that happen? Somebody invented this. Northwest Airlines, I believe, which now Delta Airlines was the first to come out with this. I believe that was them. But if I'm wrong, it doesn't matter because here's what they did. They created this ability to book your flight online. And then they said, it's really easy to do. So easy. In fact, we're willing to give you an incentive if you would just try it out. We'll give you 500 extra miles or 250 bonus points or whatever. Actually, at one point, some of the airlines were saying, if you do call the reservation, it's a $25 fee to do that. Wow. So essentially a discount. That's an incentive to get me to try it. Once I tried it, I liked it. I remember my experience. And that's the way most passengers felt about the experience. They liked it. Guess what happened? This tipping point eventually took place where everybody started using, not everybody, but the majority of passengers were using this online. We can do this with any business. Anytime we want our customers to go to the website, if they call us, let's give them the answer and then let's take a moment or two. And by the way, this is for lack of a better term, I say counterintuitive to average handle time, AHT, which is a measurement of how long we spend with the customer. A lot of Support centers are looking at that number, trying to figure out ways to do more customer interactions in a shorter period of time. Big mistake in my mind, because if we take an extra moment or two to teach our customers, say, you know, you could have done this online. Are you in front of a computer right now? Let's take a moment. Let's do this together. Go on, open it up. You know what your login information is. Yes. Yeah. Great. Go in there. Do you see the answer? Oh my gosh, I'll do this next time. Thank you very much. Now, <laughs> what just happened? What just happened is we spent a few minutes more to avoid a much longer conversation with that call center up in the future. Now, what did we just do? We eliminated the interaction with the human, you know, live agent, but we gave the customer a great experience. Here's the key. You have to have a seamless transition for when the customer says, I can't get what I want. I've got to go to a human. Mm -hmm. It's got to be easy, frictionless, and ideal. It's got to be omni-channel, which means whatever they were working on can be seen by the agent so they don't have to ask the questions over and over again and have the customer repeat the information. That's, you know, customer support utopia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So we're seeing this convergence, as you mentioned, of AI, chat GPT, all of this coming into the customer experience and the customer support. There's ways to improve, as we just kind of talked about. But where do you see potential pitfalls or misuse of AI? Like, where would you say, no, that's not a good place to use AI? Great question. It's not so much that it's not a good place to use AI. It's using it as a complete replacement 
for the human to human interaction. One of the things I've been talking about almost as long as when I came up with that quote is that the best companies have figured out the balance between using some type of automated self-service type of support now with AI and chat GPT and saying, oh, this is so good. We don't need a customer support department anymore. I mean, some people will disagree with what I'm about to say, but Frontier Airlines completely dropped their ability to talk to a customer support rep. At first, I was shocked. I wondered, how is that going to work? And then I realized whether they're right or wrong, it was a huge, bold move. Now, part of their explanation was it costs us a lot of money to run that call center. And we need to, you guys start using automation so that we can keep our ticket prices down. I agree that's part of it. But on the other hand, they took a move thinking, wow, automated support infused by AI is probably good enough today to eliminate the call center. Now, I think that's a big, bold move. I don't think long-term it's going to work for them, but I applaud them for taking this risk and this chance. I hope it works out. hope it doesn't hurt them financially. But I think my prediction is they're going to be back one day giving customers the capability of getting to an agent. Okay. Just, I'm just saying that whether they're right or wrong. So I'm not being critical of them as much as I am thinking, wow, they're doing something that most companies don't have the guts to do. Maybe too soon. However, with ChatGPT coming in, maybe not. I still say there are still plenty of customers that are upset, that are frustrated they can't get to an agent and get their questions answered. Most of the time, it's because it's a timely basis factor. It's like my flight just canceled and, and this you know, AI is not giving me the flight I need to get me where I need to go. It doesn't understand my circumstances. It's not empathetic, right? It's not empathetic. It's good to a point. You're seeing the pitfall right there. You know, just frustrating a customer who will move on to a company that offers human to human service. So even Jeff Bezos years ago, and by the way, I had a chance to interview the first VP of customer service for Amazon. And he was in the room when Jeff Bezos said, you see that empty chair over there? that's for the customer who's not here. We need to always remember they need to be represented. But he also said, we should be so good that we don't need customer service, meaning support, not service. I believe customer service is really a philosophy. It's cultural. It should be ingrained in every part of the company. Mm -hmm. Customer support is the department that handles questions and comments and concerns and complaints, right? And that works for Amazon maybe because they thought we want to be that good. We want to be that perfect except there's a problem. Back then, as soon as the item was shipped and FedEx, UPS, the post office, DHL, or whoever took it over for delivery, it's out of the control of Amazon. So if somebody didn't get their delivery, even if it wasn't Amazon's fault, the customer doesn't know that. They need to reach out to Amazon. So there needed to be a customer support department. Realizing that, Bezos said, yeah, let's create the easiest way of making that happen. And what he did was fascinating. They created a system, and it's still there today, by the way, Mm. even better today because technology is just better. You go online because you want to talk to customer support, and there are these various prompts that ask you questions about what you need. And as soon as you decide this is not giving me what I want, I really want to talk to a human. The option is there. It's already got you into the system because maybe it can be resolved without the human. And then you put in your phone number and you click it. And literally within seconds, your phone rings. So you don't have to call support. They call you. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Yeah. You know, and so they've really created a, a phenomenal system. And some people disagree. I mean, I'm a big Amazon fan. I mean, we buy from them all the time. It's hard not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I, I love Amazon Prime. Amazon gives you free shipping. 
Well, you can call it that, but you're paying $130 a year for that free shipping. You right, know, when you right, pay right. Your prime membership. But so they've just done so many things right in so many different ways in the marketing and the whole customer experience world. Anyway, pitfalls. Pitfall, like I said, is relying too much on the AI and not giving your customers the seamless transition to a human when it's needed. And I know we're moving away from AI as I think there is another pitfall. When you ask your customer to repeat themselves over and over again, in other words, you're not giving them the omni-channel experience of moving over and continue a conversation. It's moving over to start over a conversation. I think that's a pitfall. Another pitfall is as a result of not having the greatest technologies in these areas will allow the computer to recognize what the problem is for the customer and route them to the right agent without the customer having to explain what they need and then be sent. Hence the transfer. Ideally, no transfer. Worst case, one transfer, you know, but definitely let me send you to somebody else, to somebody else, to somebody else. You keep repeating your problem. Every time you do, anger escalates just a little bit more. (laughs) We don't want that to happen with our customers. Some really good points there as we think about how to mesh AI and the customer experience together and what, you know, going all in is really risky as you were talking about with Frontier Airlines there. But having that right balance, I think that that's really the key that businesses need to be thinking about today is how do we handle this balance? Because we're all people. We need to interact in the way people interact. And when technology doesn't do that, we need to have a person there if you're going to provide that really incredible level of customer experience that creates loyal customers, as you're talking about. Let me share with you an example, which I Mm -hmm. think is real appropriate for what we're talking about. By the way, we surveyed our customers earlier this year, January, the first and second week of January. ChatGPT didn't come out officially until the end of November. So it had only been around for about a month. Today, the knowledge, I still talk to people who have no idea what chat GPT is, but the ones that do, which are far more than the ones that did in early January, are blown away by its capability. And as companies start to integrate this technology into their support platform, which is, you know, to your point and what you guys do at your company, you know, you're texting, right? So this chatting communication via texting, it's just going to get better and better. But here's my point. I think if we were to ask the same questions today about that type of support, we would get different answers because there was this massive improvement in the last, what it appears to be just in the last few months. It's been brewing for quite a while, but it became public. And I think this time next year, we're going to see some dramatically different numbers as a result of this technology getting better and better. You know, you know what Moore's Law is? Why don't you go ahead and explain that? Well, I mean, I don't know if I can do it really quite (laughs) justice, but it has to do with the microchip Mm -hmm. and the capability of that chip. I can't remember if it's every two years, it doubles in capability, something like that. The exponential, if you think about it, it's one thing to double it, but when you double the double and then double the double that was already doubled and double the double and get, you know, that it's (laughs) like, holy cow, how does that work? Well, that's what Moore's Law is. Well, I think the same thing is happening with this chat technology right now, the ability to communicate. So a few years back, I had bought the computer. I was buying the docking station for the computer, which, by the way, it's right here. I'm looking at it. And I went online and I couldn't figure out when you put the computer in the docking station, I was looking at pictures. It looked like there was a separate cord running into the computer. So I thought, hmm. Do you need to have the charger in addition to the docking station? Shouldn't the docking station, when you put it in there, charge the computer? So I'm on the website and a little chat box opens up and asks, how can I help you? Or do you have any questions? Yes, 
Does the docking station charge the computer or do you need a separate charger? And the response was, which computer do you want to buy? (laughs) I've already bought the computer. I'm interested in buying the docking station, but I want to know if it also charges the computer. The bot responds, which computer do you want to buy? You see where I'm going? (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah. The cool thing about chat GPT is I can ask that question. And if the computer doesn't understand me, it'll ask me back. Let me make sure I understand what you're asking. Or if I don't understand the answer, I can then say, can you please explain this to me differently? I get a lot of contracts from my clients where they put these big clauses in about indemnification and liabilities and all that. And I'm not a lawyer. You know what I've been doing? I've been taking that clause, dropping it into chat GPT and asking, can you explain this to me like I'm in sixth grade? Mm. So imagine if I'm chatting on the chat GPT and I have, and I'm, it's a technical question and the computer comes back to me and tells me something I don't understand. Can you uh, make this easier? Pretend I'm in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Done. You know, yes. explain it to me the way Dr. Seuss would in a child's book. <laughs> you know? And you know what? I'll bet that Chat GPT comes back and rhymes words. Absolutely. But that's how sophisticated and amazing it's becoming today. So uh, I fear for not the agent who I've had clients say, well, isn't this going to kill the agent? You know, it, they're not going to have live support anymore. And my response was, did ATMs eliminate bank tellers? No. Did video kill the radio star? I don't think so. So, <laughs> But I don't think ChatGPT is going to kill the support center because there's always going to be a need for a higher level of truly complex issues, which, by the way, one day ChatGPT might be able to do. But we're not close to that today, right? No, not. I don't think we're close to it. Not yet. And I also think this concept of communicating with customers should be brought into communicating with agents and helping agents give better answers to customers. Right, right. So speaking of better answers, uh, I want to talk a little bit about measuring success, especially the success of AI and human touch improving the customer experience. You talked earlier about average handle time. I think some would argue, actually, that's not a great measurement. I mean, it's been a very common measurement in contact centers, right? It's an efficiency measurement, typically. It's like, how many calls can you do? Now, average handle time is how long should a call take if we're trying to go for on that scale of zero to 10 getting that nine and 10, like a net promoter score. Uh, So then you could say, you know, a call that rushes the customer off doesn't get us the results that we want. So what should the average handle time be? Don't try to rush the customer off. You've got plenty of time. What should the average handle time be for the quality of call we're looking for is really yeah, is how a better way to think about that. Correct. And so then how do you think about measurements as it relates to the combination of AI or measuring whether AI is improving the customer experience? Any thoughts on that? Well, I think you survey just like you would survey any customer support experience. One of my favorite questions that companies are asking is a simple, you know, we have a one question survey that will take you 10 seconds to complete. Would you be willing to do that at the end of this call? And at the end of the call, by the way, if you have enough calls, you should change the one question so you can get it. You know, you don't need to get an answer from every customer, but you need to get an answer from enough to know what your trends are, right? So that question I love is, it's a simple yes or no. One for yes, two for no. On your next call, would you want to talk to this agent again? Okay. Mm. The next time you have a problem, would you be willing to use our chat, whatever you want to call it, you know, again? Okay, so just ask, yes or no, okay? If you'd like to leave 
an open comment, please push a button and you'll hear the tone and you can just keep talking, you know, if you want to add that onto it. I'm fine with that open-ended question to get a verbatim response. But that's what I would be doing. I would be measuring it the same way, just asking the question ever so slightly different to talk about the digital experience versus the human experience. Okay, so I think we're nearing the end of our time here, but I've got a couple more questions for you. And and one in particular around what you were just talking about. We're talking about measurements. We're talking about improving that one question to kind of to look at how do we improve next time we interact. You've been talking in the past about being just a little bit better than average. I think you talked about the founder of Ritz-Carlton and the 10%, if I recall correctly, just being 10% better. Talk a little bit. That wasn't very intriguing to me when I when I heard about that. Like just be consistently a little bit better than average makes a big difference. So how do you kind of wrap up some of what we've been talking about by digging into there a little bit? Let's say on a scale of one to five, you want to nail fives every time. You do not need to create an over-the-top, blow-me-away experience to get a five every time. There's really two ways to go about it. One way, which I, I've been you know preaching for years and years, is just be the tiniest little bit above average, but consistently and predictable. So that customers say they're always so helpful. They always get back to me quickly. Whenever I call, I always get in quickly without having to wait 20 minutes for somebody to come. So the word always followed by something positive. Now, if you start to break that down, it sounds like that's a little bit better than average all the time. And the reason is, is because it's always consistent. Okay. Horst Schultz, who's the founder and first president, co-founder, first president of Ritz-Carlton, said an example of a little bit better than average is using a guest's name throughout their stay. As soon as we learn their name, as they're walking down the hall, we might say, hey, good morning, Mr. Hyken, or I hope you're having a great, and it's like, oh, they remember my name. That's an example of a tiny bit better than average. But if you really want to nail it every single time, just do what's expected. What is normal? What is your very typical customer want and need? And deliver that every time. They don't want to wait on hold for 20 minutes, but they're happy if you get to them within one or two minutes. They don't want to wait three days for you to respond to their email. If you do it within a few hours, they're blown away, you know? So just do what would make somebody happy, the normal expectation. And by the way, recognize what you want may be different than what they want. So figure it out, you know, based on what your typical customers are. So that's kind of where I go with that one is to, you know, understand what the expectation is. And if you can meet that expectation, a hundred percent of the time, you're always going to get a five. And that's not about over the top. That's just about doing what's expected. But guess what? Most companies can't consistently and predictably do it every time. There's the key. Be consistent and predictable in what your vision is as a company. So, well, thanks for being on today. I have one last question for you before you go. This is a softball. Since we're talking about experiences here and customer experiences, creating great experiences, my question that I like to ask is, so if you could create a life experience for yourself or for your family without regard to cost, what would that be? What would it look like? You know, I don't have a, but if there's one thing that is the most important thing to me, mm -hmm. it's just being together with my family. Mm. Because now my kids are older. You know, I've got a 33-year-old, a 30-year-old, and almost 28. When I look at this, I ask myself, how more times will we all be together in the same room? Mm -hmm. To me, that's the experience. That is such a lame answer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's heartfelt. It's truthful. 
I don't know if you were expecting something amazing like over the top. <laughs> well, but see, that is what actually for me personally, that's where I sit right now is is memories and creating those memories is what matters. And how do you create memories but by having experiences typically? Mm-hmm. And so yep. so that's kind of where that's coming from. What what experiences would you create for your family or for your kids that would be memorable and meaningful if you could? I just think being together. Time together, right? Yeah, so anything that creates time together. Well, again, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for talking about human touch and how that meets AI and how to create loyal customers, uh, not just repeat customers. Shep, it's been great getting to chat with you. Thanks for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great to see you. We'll do it again sometime. Sounds great. So long. Practical AI, the capacity for good is brought to you by Capacity an automated help desk, knowledge base, and customer experience platform. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you would like to improve your customer experience and internal operations, head over to capacity.com and get started for free. On behalf of the whole team, thanks for listening.